Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca Seal. How are you? I'm good. I'm really hot. It's a very hot day. But apart from that, I'm absolutely fine. It's a really hot day. And listeners, we're talking about our feel-good habits and we have both elected to leave our windows open and leave our fans on. Um, yes. Because it's just, it's too hot not to. Uh, because you're sharing your feel-good habits, which is so exciting. And listeners, Rebecca is um, a writer, an author and a podcaster. And we recently met, but by Jiminy, it was a meeting of minds, was it not? <laughs> it was, it really was. It was lovely. And your uh, specialist subject is solo working. You have the Solo Collective, you've written a brilliant book about it, which has obviously become hugely relevant for a lot of us over the last 18 months with people having to suddenly figure out how to do their jobs at home, from home. So we had a great chat about all things solo working. And I thought, well, you've probably had to dig very deep to find some strategies that keep you from going back to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going mad. Although I often think that thing, I think we probably talked about this last time, that thing of like people saying, I would never be motivated enough to work by myself or for myself. I couldn't possibly do that. And um, yeah, you would actually, because everybody has to pay the rent. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I think some people find it harder than others, but there is necessity is a brilliant motivator (laughs) oh 100 first time that bill comes through the door and you're freelance you're like right yep you never send as many emails in the next hour as you do when you see a brown envelope envelope come through the door so you're sharing your feel-good habits where are we beginning with your feel-good strategies well um a lot of my strategies are sort of outside of work actually in order to enable work to happen smoothly and briskly and let me get on with the rest of my life which I consider much more important for me and for all people um and so one of them is um no alcohol Monday to Friday (laughs) oh that's a good one yeah so um my in my other life when I'm not writing about work and podcasting about work I write about food and drink and um for a while I was the drinks expert on Sunday brunch on channel four um for like four and a half years um until I got pregnant and that that was that felt inappropriate <laughs> I was like I can't be doing live tequila tastings <laughs> seven months pregnant on tv um they were they would have been cool with it apparently it was me that went to the producers and was like I don't I don't think we can carry on like this um and then I moved over to doing food stuff but for that period of time where I was doing stuff about um alcohol every week um I was very intensely in the drinks world um 
and I drank too much. <laughs> I mean, not in a kind of dangerous way, but just in a way that slowly but surely made me think that it was becoming too big a part of my life. Mm. Um, and that I was having to do quite a lot of compensating for the impact of it in the daytime. Um, like just feeling blurry and just, you know, not that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get drunk. It was just a part of my life most days of the week. Um, sometimes purely for professional reasons, um, I would go and do big tastings, um, but sometimes for social reasons and sometimes for a mixture, because it turns out that <coughs> quite honestly, most drinks journalists really like a drink. I mean, again, not in a dangerous way, but they're like, they like to live big. Um, and I am a follower. <laughs> and so if people around me are living big, then I'll do the same. And I'm not, I'm not very good at being the first person to leave a party or any of that stuff. So um, yeah, it just, it got to a point where I felt like, hmm, this is, this is interesting. And then, um, and then my husband and I had kids after a long bout of infertility and IVF. Um, and then that, that turns out to be really hard having kids. <laughs> Who knew? Um, <laughs> and so I began to feel like I was using wine specifically as a way to kind of recover from the day mm. um, and to sort of delineate time periods. Because usually if I'm boozing, I'm not parenting. Like it's very unusual that the kids are present, you know, maybe on a Sunday afternoon in the pub, maybe once in a while. Um, but you know as a general rule it's an evening activity and um, and so it's very useful as a way of marking time basically and transitioning to an adult phase of, of time and and yeah so I just felt like this wasn't this wasn't going in a good direction frankly so a few years back my husband and I um, had a chat about this in the car on the way back from a holiday in France where we had enjoyed France a lot let's say and it's vineyards mm. um and we were just like is this you know is this okay is this going to get to a difficult place it was nowhere near a difficult place but we were just worried about where it might lead um and so we made this rule and that and we work really well with rules um it kind of the fact that we're sort of mutually accountable to each other is really useful mm. um so we just made this rule that we wouldn't drink from monday to friday you are allowed to if you're out with friends um so it's not like absolutely dry monday to friday um but it also i don't know it just creates this environment where it's not the it's not an automatic thing to do to end the day and pour a glass of wine um and i think that was the habit that i had gotten into where it had become very programmed. It was a feel bad habit. <laughs> um, and yeah, I feel a lot better for it. I feel a lot better. It's interesting, isn't it? Just before we got on the call uh, a minute ago, I was checking Instagram for something and I saw somebody had posted and they were at lunch and they posted like a beautiful salad, like just, you know, the ones that you just can taste through the screen. Mm. And next to it was a beautiful, it looked just this glass of white wine. And I thought that picture is making me feel a certain way because I know what the, the combination of those two things mean. It means you're sort of off the clock. Mm. It means that you're very, you're in a state where you're willing to be relaxed and then relax furthermore. Like the, it's, it's kind of yeah. a real switch off. And yet I've, I'm the same as you. I've got to the point where alcohol, the, the way alcohol makes me feel at the time and afterwards just isn't really worth it. 
Yeah. That's where I've yeah. got to. I can still enjoy it, but I enjoy it with caution now in a way that I didn't before. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm in a very similar place and I feel similarly about daytime drinking actually like a few weekends ago um I was with I think it was with my mum and dad and you know we were just having a nice lunch in the garden and it was lovely weekend and the kids were around and um the offer of a glass of wine came along and I was I was so tempted um because of all the things that you just said all of the symbolism that it Mm. holds that a glass of wine can be full of um and I just really like wine, <laughs> you know, it's nice. Um, but I also knew that it would mean an hour and a half would pass and I would be like cranky, a bit dry mouthed, uh, tired. I'd be grumpy with the kids, grumpy with everyone else. Um, not sort of like falling asleep, but in that place where I kind of wanted a nap. And yeah it just wouldn't have brought out the best in me. And it's taken me until I'm like, I'm literally 40 in a couple of weeks. So it's taken me until this point in my life to be the person who can actually say, no, I'm all right, actually, I'll just stick with water. Um, And that sort of, I just, I find that quite extraordinary that it's taken me so long to get to a point which makes me feel so much better. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And would have, I would have considered so sort of like school malmish. I think before now yeah I would have been yeah no I think it's because if you think about all of the like when we were growing up first of all you weren't allowed to drink and it was naughty to drink and if you got found out if you got caught drinking gosh you'd get into trouble and then you would go out and the thing that would get you ready would be drinking with your mates or like who's Mm. getting the you know so it's there's so much symbolism tied up to tied up in it we also made the hangovers a bit of a fun thing too Mm. And yeah. so actually you do have to, I think you do get to that point where, I don't know, you just think oh, it, there's an element of fun that's missing now. And yeah. I, I don't know about you, but as I've, as I have aged, my hangovers are just, they're not worth having. No, no. I mean, my hangovers are pretty horrible now. And I also feel like my days are full of things which are so important. I can't risk them as readily as I could when I was younger, which is not to say that I make perfect decisions. I am still absolutely capable and certainly did when lockdown eased the first time. Like there were definitely evenings where I would be with friends. And, you know, there was one night where I had people around in the garden until one o'clock in the morning um, because, because God damn it, I could, you know, and <laughs> I just, I didn't want it to end and nobody wanted it to end. We were all, we're all parents with small children. We all should have known better. Um, but there was just that thing of like, I haven't seen any other humans for such a long time. And now we're doing it together with Rosé. <laughs> like, how good <laughs> is this? Um, you know, and then, and that was like a Thursday night. So I suffered horribly um, the next morning. So it's, I wouldn't want the no booze Monday to Friday to sound kind of draconian because it's not. There are kind of, there are get out clauses. And, um, and I think in a way, actually, I think that's why it works because I think if it was draconian, we would both, just find it too austere and mm. too hard to go with. Um, so I think that might be part of what makes it function. It's a good strategy. And like you say, it's about the way that you feel the next day because you're, you've got clarity that maybe yeah. the alcohol would have clouded. That's a good one. I like that one. Um, what is <laughs> habit number two? Um, well, I've just switched in my head actually. I'll say, I'll say this one. Um, because it's kind of related to the last one. It's another rule, 
Um, and I don't want it to sound like I'm incapable of doing anything without the kind of input of my husband, um, <laughs> which it might make this sound like, but um, we're, we're a pretty good team. We've known each other since we were babies. So we're a, we're, we're a kind of um, a, a useful team for each other as well as everything else. Um, <clears throat> but we, before the booze rule, <coughs> excuse me, we made a rule that we wouldn't um, talk about work before breakfast we wouldn't talk about work after 8.30. You weren't allowed to work in the evenings and um, you weren't allowed to work at the weekends. And once a month, you can, we call it playing a card and I'm not sure why, you can play a card and work on a weekend day. And once a week, if you have to, if it's an emergency, you can play a card and work on a weekday. Um, and we made it because we were working all the time. <laughs> Um, just all the time and we were working at that point we were working together we still work together a bit we run a photography studio together but um, at that point I was writing a restaurant column for the evening standard and he was doing the photography and I was writing recipe books and he was doing the photography he's a food photographer um, and it was just two oh and I was working for Soho House and he was working for them doing their food photography so we were working on those shoots together too so it was it was really constant and we would go to bed talking about whether we'd got the ingredients for tomorrow's shoot and we would wake up and be like oh I thought of another thing about that shoot it was just um it was so all-consuming and actually when I look back at that time it was the time when I was most unhappy in my work and the time which prompted me to write the solo book in the first place because I realized that I was completely out of control when it as far as it went um, in terms of the hours that I was doing and the amount of importance that I was placing on work and my identity as a working person and all of that stuff um, so it was it was kind of it was a useful um, point to reach and the rules really helped, but they weren't enough. And that's that's why I ended up taking the whole thing a lot further. But they were a really, really good starting point, And we still stick with them now. Um, so I, I definitely recommend that as a, as a habit, a habit slash rule. I do think it's really important to have those sorts of boundaries, especially if mm. you work. I mean, I have a very similar thing of I try very, very hard not to work on the weekend. Mm. But in very like what I found is really helpful is I have a notebook and in that notebook so I won't put them in my phone I will scribble down notes yeah I think do that on Monday morning but then equally I sometimes just fire up the computer and think I just need to get this out now or I need to do that now because otherwise I won't sleep but it, it's quite a hard thing to do it sounds like that's a I like the fact that you both with the first habit and with this habit you are able to play a card and say yeah it's necessary because I think that gives you it's like giving someone a judgment call, isn't it? It's like saying you don't have to yeah. live within these rules, like use your judgment, be smart yeah. about it. So I guess yeah. when you do play a card, you probably have thought it through and it's the right choice. Yeah, and it's but it also creates a circuit break against the action. Mm. So you can't just automatically open up your laptop and start working um, because you've got to decide whether this is worthy of it. Um, and... I don't know I just I find that really useful just a moment a moment of pause mm. it could be anything that make makes you pause it wouldn't necessarily have to be that that specific rule um but just something to to undo the old habit I guess the old habitual thing of just working whenever and until whenever and um and all the time and I mean you know I need to be quite forgiving of myself because at the time I was working with a lot of overseas clients and so I had I had clients who were in you know Toronto and Hollywood and various other places which makes it sound really glamorous so it wasn't it's just where they happen to be <laughs> but um but 
you know, so I would feel a bit like I had to be on my emails really late or really early so that I was able to respond to them in a timely way. But so I know that there are things, there are ways in which work can put specific pressures on that. But I think, like you say, those boundaries are so critical because smartphones have enabled work to kind of spiderweb its way into all kinds of corners of our lives where it shouldn't Mm. be. Like I found myself the other day checking my emails on the treadmill at the gym, like, you know, force of habit. And I know of all people written a book about why you shouldn't do that. Like of all people, I know you shouldn't. Um, But there I was doing it. Um, And, you know, it's insidious. It's really insidious. Yeah. I, I think it's also when you are working for yourself and the buck stops with you, I don't know if you've had a similar thing. I just think I should be working all, all hours. Mm. If I'm not, then I'm not taking it seriously. And that's something I've really had to work against and say, actually, I know that I can be more productive in a morning on my own than I used to be in a week in an office sometimes because there were so yeah. many interruptions. So actually this idea that I need to be on the computer till 2 a.m. every day is, yeah. is a nonsense and it will only hurt me in the long term. Well, not just hurt you, but also hurt your work. I mean, I think that's the other thing that we've kind of really mangled in the way that we've adopted like post-industrial revolution modes of working um, that don't fit with the kind of creative and knowledge of economies that so many of us work within now, um, that we tend to equate the hours, hours worked with output as though we were all on factory lines, you know, making Ford motor cars, which we're really not. Um, and I mean, even, not even, but th- th- those people also can only work up to a certain point until things start going wrong. Um, but if you're working in the knowledge economy, it's, it's. I was going to say it's even more true, but that's, that's not right because it's obviously, it's true for all of us. Nobody should be overworked. People on factory lines shouldn't be overworked. Um, but people in the people in the knowledge economies maybe work way beyond what an eight hour shift would be on a factory line mm. because there's there's nobody to clock you out um, and there's nobody to kind of there's no overseer there's no foreman there's no there's no shift pattern there's you know the, the expectation is just that the more you work the more you get done um, except that all of the science and all of the studies show that like that's only true up to a very small point the actual optimum amount of work in in kind of knowledge work terms per day and this is probably frankly true for people in factories too is four hours so like if you're doing there's various words for it but like deep work or kind of focus work or concentrated work it's four hours and if you look back at the lives of people like darwin or edison um, they they got their they got their incredible work done in four hours. Um, they maybe did a bit of letter writing afterwards and that kind of thing, but they weren't work working mm. for any more than four hours a day. Um, and so we've for some reason, even though they were far more enlightened than us, and sounds like they had much nicer work life balances than the rest of us, we've jettisoned what they learned like two hundred years ago. <laughs> And instead adopted principles which are based on industrialists in the Victorian era who wanted to make rugs <laughs> and, you know, had loom weavers working for 14 hours a day. Um, we, you know, it's extraordinary when you when you unpick it that, that those are the practices that we've 
kept and we haven't ditched them even though we absolutely could because as you say you get far more done in the morning by yourself than you do in an in an office full of people so there's so much possibility for change here and yet we still think I should be working more I should be working more I should be working more even though the science proves that the more you work the less well you do the work and the less good you feel we've glamorized it I remember when I first started Mm. in magazines and I mean like my London magazines when I sort of hit the big time if you will I remember going to events and just watching very carefully and people would say hey how are you and the response would be oh manic yeah and so I thought yeah so I I was like next time somebody asked me how I was I was like oh manic (laughs) because I just thought that's what you had to say because god forbid you would say actually yeah up to date with everything reckon the mag's gonna yeah. get to the press on time like there was you had to present jeopardy and that was the glamour and that was yeah the, so busy yeah and, yeah it's like um I was chatting to someone the other day about 1984 and about you know the fact that you had the tv screens and you do the exercise and we've made those we've made that device um, consumable. Like we all want our Apple watches that share all of that kind of information. And we did the same with work and work ethic. We made it sexy to work like a machine. We made it glamorous to work like a machine, but necessarily correct. Yeah, yeah. To be the most frazzled one, to be the most overwhelmed one, um, to be the last one in the office, you know, or digitally present as, as people now are, flag waving on whatever work platform you've been forced <laughs> onto by your <laughs> by your company um you know it's all it's all the same thing this idea that to be busy is to have status and in fact there was a, a really fascinating piece of research done at harvard i think where they studied um fake social media posts and they assessed the level of status and wealth that were ascribed to people who pr- professed themselves to be extremely busy on social media. So they planted these social media posts that were like, oh, I'm overwhelmed, I've got so much work on. And the people who were overwhelmed were perceived to be higher in social status, higher wealth, um, higher, you know, just generally higher. So they, they took from that, that it was actually aspirational to be super busy and overwhelmed. Um, And was that perhaps because our time has become a consumable and it's not so uh, socially acceptable to be flash about your handbag now or, you know, whatever consumer goods you've got. So is another way of signaling your kind of status and importance simply by saying you've got such a high status job that you're incredibly busy and incredibly overwhelmed and stressed Mm. and blah, blah, blah. Um, which I thought I thought was really interesting. The, inter- the particularly interesting thing that I liked about the research was that they had they'd done it in America. The same team tried to replicate it in Italy, and the Italians were like, "No, what? No." <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, so maybe all is not lost for humanity." You know, if we can adopt some kind of more Mediterranean attitudes <laughs> rather than kind of modelling American work practices, which unfortunately we do do, um, then maybe maybe we can save ourselves. <laughs> That's an interesting one. Oh, that's very thought provoking. Okay. I could ask you a thousand more questions about that one, but I'm going to steer you on to habit number yes. three. Um, so I don't, I, th- I hope this counts as a habit, but it's something that I read recently and realized that I do. So it kind of put it, put into words something that I do, which is that I, um, I try to feed myself as though I was feeding a friend, Ooh. Um, which 
I've done for a long time, not always. Um, I've always taken the way that I feed myself quite seriously, which is not to say that it's a health thing. It's, but I do think it's a self-care thing. Um, so I take, I, try, I, I can't say that I managed to do this all the time. I did have beans on toast for lunch yesterday. Um, but I take what I give myself to eat when it's just me um, quite seriously. And I, I kind of, I guess with my food writing, I do sort of try and encourage people to do that as well. Because one of the things I realized when I was writing the book was that people struggle with food when they work on their own. Um, and I hadn't struggled with food. Um, and, uh, unless uh, of course I sometimes eat too much of it <laughs> but I didn't ever do that thing of only eating cereal or whatever um, and and then I went looking for one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh, it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The topics to talk about, and it just kept coming up. People kept saying, like, how do I not eat everything in the, in the house? How do I not eat only toast? How do I not eat only cereal? Um, and I started to realize it was an issue. And then after I wrote the book, I got commissioned to write a bunch of recipes for a couple of newspapers um, for just meals for one that people could have during their working day or any time they fancied. Um, and and it, yeah, so it sort of trickled into my consciousness that actually I was doing this thing that I'd read about of, of treating myself as though I was cooking for another person. And um, I'm sort of reverse engineering my understanding of the habit, I guess. Um, but I realized that I think it's really important to me and probably could be to, to lots of other people um, because I think it's really easy when you're by yourself to just um, not care, to feel as though you shouldn't care. And that's, real, that's a real oddity of human nature, isn't it? Because if there was one other person in the room, you'd make, you'd make an effort, mm -hmm. some kind of effort. But because it's only you, you don't. And, and why, why is that? Like you're as deserving of love and attention and nourishment as the next person. Um, so why, why do we find it so difficult to lavish that on ourselves? Um, so yeah, so that's my, that's my habit. That's interesting. I remember ages ago, uh, a few years ago, realizing that the way that I ate when I was by myself is very different from how I would eat in front of other people. And in my case, it was that because I would eat more by myself. Mm. So if I, I would have two slices of toast, then I'd have another two. I wouldn't do that if someone else is in the room. Mm. So that was a really good indicator for me that there was something that I needed to understand about why I would do it to me, but I wouldn't do it in front of someone else. Yeah, yeah. It's the same, it's part, it's exactly, it's part of the same thing. It's like the other side of that coin, isn't it? Mm. Like I, 
again, I'm not going to pretend that I always get this right, but like I wouldn't give a friend only crisps <laughs> for an evening. Um, that would be weird. <laughs> um, but I have in the past occasionally been known to do that. Um, I also probably wouldn't give a friend an entire block of cooking chocolate in the middle of the afternoon and say, <laughs> you can eat that. You can eat all of it. It's fine. It's totally cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so in a way, like trying to do this thing of feeding myself like a friend is catching myself when I'm about to do that stuff. Um, it doesn't always stop me falling down the hole, yeah. um, but there's there's that too. Um I don't want to eat. I don't want to eat as though someone's watching. I don't mean it exactly like that because I want to be able to do things that are stupid and indulgent some of the time. Like I think a life without that would be it would be sad. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's about making it what you do most of the time. Yeah. How you treat yourself most of the time. Um, and and I don't know. I just think particularly when it comes to lunch breaks, I've got a real I've got a real bee in my bonnet about lunch breaks. Um, I just think how nice to be by yourself and to have a moment where you make yourself something good like that's a that's a lovely thing it's a really great way to recover from work but it's also just lovely like Mm. what a what a nice opportunity and what a sad thing to miss out on even if it's something as simple as like I do this thing where if I've got baked beans uh, mix it with chipotle mix them with chipotle paste mm. so they're like smoky and spicy and then I put some chopped avocado on top and a squeeze of lime and then put them on toast and it's like fractionally longer than just beans on toast it's introduces another vegetable um and it just it, it's just much more loving towards yourself than just dumping doing what I did yesterday because we literally had no food in um <laughs> dumping a can of beans into a glass bowl and putting them in the microwave and then eating them <laughs> on a bit of toast which is just like I did think, oh, this is just depressing. Um, and if we do that all the time to ourselves, then there's a sort of, I don't know, it's cumulative, isn't it? Sort of lack of self-care. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think it's important. Yeah, I agree with you. I like that one very much. And I, again, another one that I could probably unpick with you for another 45 minutes at least, but <laughs> I shan't. Let's tell me where we are with habit number four. Okay, so number four, um, this is a habit I noticed when I learned about them um and it's they're called transitional rituals I'm sure you've come across them before um and they're ways to move ourselves from one mode of being or thinking into another um and I struggle with transition like most people one of the first people I interviewed for the book said that she considered herself to be like a giant toddler and really struggled with transitions and ever since then I've been like I'm a giant toddler <laughs> and I, I need a lot of time for transitions um, and so for me it's it's only been about noticing ones that I was already doing so um in the mornings for example like I get dressed for work um you know I've talked about this before um but and then I have a couple of cups of coffee of decaf coffee and then I know that I'm moving from my kind of home mode into work mode and I don't do those things until you know the kids are out of the house and everything's sort of sorted and I'm not trying to do other things and it's not so it's not necessarily pinned to specific times um although if woman's hour comes on at 10 a.m then I know I'm late <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite good to have a little marker of like you're not you shouldn't still be at home <laughs> you should be in work mode by now um, I feel the same about the theme tune for Lorraine <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but it's also about noticing these markers that have become habits yeah. um, because they can be really useful if you're more mindful about them. Mm. Um, Cause I used to feel, I used to feel really bad if I heard the women's, if I heard women's hour start. Um, but now I'm just like, Oh, hang on. That's my key. That's my cue. I'm not like, oh, you bastard, you're really late. Oh my God, you're late again. How could you be late again? Jesus Christ. Because actually nobody's watching. Mm. My, the great thing about working on your own is that nobody's watching, unless you're meant to be on Zoom, obviously. But mm. <laughs> um, and, and so I just, I feel, a bit, I feel a bit sorry for past me who I berated for so many years about not starting work on time. Yeah. It's like, well, I, cho- I choose that start time. So... Um, you know let's just take the cues from life as it unfolds each morning and and use them to kind of move me into the right position um and then and then let's not bully us let's not be a bully (laughs) inside our own heads I think we also have to sometimes I definitely have to do this where some mornings I just am moving more slowly yeah and I'll think goodness right why is it and it's just well because you're a bit tired and yeah. so you actually the way that you're going to get the most out of today is actually to ease yourself into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not harangue yourself internally. Yeah. And then, cause you always, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like some mornings might be like that, but if it's one out of 10 and the rest of the mornings you're actually right, really on it and you get straight to work and you're focused, then it's like one slow morning is kind of to be expected. You just sit, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not something that you, can, you should be hard on yourself for. No, and there can be so many different causes. Like I have noticed um, hormonally, um, like in the third week of my cycle, I get a bit of insomnia. Um, and so that week, my mornings are going to be really, really treacly thick and mm. slow. Yeah. <laughs> because I just, you know, and there's nothing I can do about that. It just is, it is how I'm built. Um, so I think actually quite a lot of what I've learned in the last few years is about self-acceptance. And I have got a long way down that path to go. <laughs> there's, there's a massive amount to be done. Um, but quite a lot of how I'm happier now than I was is about just saying, this is who I am and I'm not going to fight against it. Like, yeah, we can make positive changes, but we also just have to learn a bit about who we are. And frankly, I'm not a morning person. I'm, I'm, I'm a night owl and the world isn't built for night owls, unfortunately. But um but it means I'm a lot more forgiving of myself than I was when I would just be sort of permanently pissed off that I hadn't started work at eight, especially because my lovely husband is a morning person and gets up at six and goes and plays tennis for an hour. I mean, who does that? Like, I love him, but who does that? Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to him that I can't do mornings either. Like he often says, well, if you want to exercise more, you should just get up early and do it in the morning. I can barely move. Like, I can't really speak or think. How could I possibly, I mean, I can't even play tennis at the best of times, but how could I possibly go and do an hour of something like tennis? I just wouldn't, we're just very opposite. That's a, that can be difficult, I think, when you're surrounded by other people who can do something that you can't yeah, do yeah. to make you feel worse. But I'm easier on myself now than I used to be. I did try to manipulate my circadian rhythms the other day. So um, I read a book and I thought, right, I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to go outside and look at the sky and get the mm. light into my eyes and I'm mm. going to go to bed early and shut the curtains and see if I can and it, do you know what it did work yeah yeah I mean I was like yeah. I didn't realize I was that pliable but yes it did work <laughs> uh, 
I mean, we, I do something similar. I mean, maybe this counts as another habit, but like blackout blinds, sleep mask. Um, yeah, but for me, it hasn't made me any more bright in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, then just go with it. Um, yeah, okay. exactly. Where are we uh, going for our fifth and final habit? So this is, I don't know if this is a bit too waffly to be considered a habit as such, but one of the things that I realised in the last well, it was emphasized in the last 18 months, but I'd, I'd learned it more over the last few years, um, is people, <laughs> that I need people. Um, yeah. And I I think I became extremely isolated when I was working by myself, you know, five or six years ago. Um, and as I said earlier, just really unhappy. Um, and I just got out of the habit of people. Um, and so now I work really hard to bring the habit of people back in and I still find it difficult. It's weird because I'm not an introvert and I do get a lot of energy from other people, but um, I still find it challenging to remember that I need to pick up the phone um, and I need to arrange things with people. And I'm quite reactive. Like if someone asks me to do something, then I'm very like, yeah, yeah, I'd love, love to do that. But um, it's often only when I've let it go far too far, far too long without kind of proper deep connection with people who I really love that I realize that I'm getting really lonely again mm. um, and that I need to do something about it and often the moment that you need to do it you need to do it right really quickly I had this a few weeks ago where I was like god I haven't seen anyone I really love for ages and I desperately need to and then everyone's so booked up and busy that they're like yeah we can we can do something in August and you're <laughs> like I might have like been crushed by loneliness by then like how am I gonna <laughs> how am I gonna find people who I love who've got the time, um, which just shows how it needs to be a habitual thing. Um, and then the like the smaller version of that, of that habit, which is the bit I am better at, is the kind of shallow social interactions. Like, so I am better at, you know, having little chats with people on the street and where I live and in the industrial estate where our studio is and where my office is and, um, you know, having little kind of pinprick moments of social connection which make you feel rooted in a community and and have been shown in loads of studies to be really positive for your mental health in general so I am I'm better I'm more practiced at that because it's easier and it's less it's less hard to arrange you know, <laughs> it's all kind of serendipitous rather yeah. than planned I'm I'm exactly the same I am almost painfully exactly the same and actually in a weird case of foreshadowing at the beginning of 2020 I realized that I was isolating myself not not intentionally mm. but I was just working from home so much and so I would prioritize my work so much if somebody said they could do a podcast I wouldn't think about whether the time suited me I would just think about if they've said the time suits them then I'll work around them yeah so my diary was very scattered and I was working early mornings late nights and I wasn't factoring any time for people and I remember honestly like in January saying I've really realized that I'm spending far too much time alone working and I'm not factoring in any breaks. So I'm going to make sure that at least twice a week I come into London and I see yeah. make two appointments and I see people because I always feel better when I do. And then obviously lockdown happened and I sort of had to suck it up. But I can, I don't really get that feeling that you were talking about, about crushing loneliness. But I do sometimes think, oh yeah, I haven't seen anyone Mm. for a really long time and I realized that even though my feelings about my friends haven't changed and I think yeah. about them a lot and I love them deeply they wouldn't necessarily know that because I haven't been in touch yeah. and that's what I really struggle with and I because I don't want anybody to think that I don't care about them I do it's just I'm 
I just assume that it's just kind of an ongoing yeah. I forget about the work that you need to put in and it I feel stupid saying that but it's no. true I mean, you shouldn't, well, at least you shouldn't with me. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> other people who are like, yeah, they both sound stupid, but um, like that, it's it's a complete mirror. Like I'm exactly the same. Um, you know, I have these friendships that I've had for for 20 or 25 years that I, I consider so important to who I am as a person. And I, I barely nurture them. Mm. And in some cases the that works perfectly because the other person is very similar to me and they don't need nurturing and they know that that this friendship is deeply important to both of us and we can pick it up whenever and in other cases it's damaged relationships and in and and sometimes I've lost them Mm. um because I just don't seem to have that skill and I and I do think it's a bit like being a morning person or being a night owl um I'm, I'm not trying to let myself off the hook here but it's it's almost like a piece of me isn't quite there. Um, like, I don't, I don't know how much I can improve it because I've been trying to for such a long time. Um, and I've, I've kind of, I've wanted to for such a long time. Uh, and yet it still will fall off the bottom of my list because I, I think it's a little bit because it's, it's, a, it's another form of self-care and self-care is quite challenging, isn't it? So remembering to care deeply for yourself. Um, so I wonder if that's sort of part of it. I often feel like it's something that falls off the bottom of my list, not because it's not important, but because it's something which is sort of solely to do with me and my welfare. Um, and sometimes those things can be the things which get pushed further and further away. Mm. Do you, does that chime with you? I honestly think I just forget that it's it's something like I've actually before we got on this call I was um going through a podcast I'm editing with Tash Lunn who's amazing I used to work with her at Red Magazine and she's written this book on love and I'm going to read something because I've just been taking some notes and she said what did she say um you just need lots of different people to love you in lots of different ways is something that was said on the podcast and it made me realize actually like it is true I was chatting on the podcast recently with Julia Samuel and we were talking about um, different friendships and the way that you love and what have you and about how you grow. And she said, write down at the end, we came to a conclusion of write down at the end of the week, the people that you've spoken to all week and how they made you feel. And this was actually something I did throughout lockdown. And I realized that a lot of the people that I give a lot of my attention to, I don't actually feel very good from the transaction of that friendship. And then a lot of the people that I don't give my attention to make me feel really good when I do end up speaking Mm. to them and Mm. so I thought well that's what I've got to repair because I'm somebody who as soon as I think that something's a bit off or someone's unhappy it's like I go into well I need to fix that mode rather than focusing on the people who are just genuine and like how are you doing Em really Mm. really see that you're working really hard at the moment Mm. well done I really appreciate that and I'm like oh thank you and yet it will be the person who's a little bit critical that will get my attention. And that's yeah. something I've really, really noticed in lockdown that I have to work on a lot because I think just that just leads to long-term damage. I've gone off on a massive tangent in terms of that, but it's, it is that thing of putting the work in and I'm yeah. crossed with myself that I put more work in with people who don't deserve it than with people who do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, I guess my version of that would be I put more work in to work <laughs> yeah. than I do to the people who deserve it. I also think there's an element for me 
of it, which is to do with parenting, um, which is that you kind of, you give quite a lot of your, like your FaceTime, I guess, to other humans. And sometimes the, the thing that you feel as though you need to prioritize is just solitude. Um, and that isn't always the right thing to prioritize. Like it can feel like the right thing to prioritize, but in the end, that that kind of solitude just makes you lonely. Like, mm. but there is something about like if you've been if you've been pulled in different directions by people, even if they're small people who you love dearly, you, you can't. Your conclusion, your natural conclusion, can quite often be, "Well, I just don't need any more people right now." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, actually, that's the the reverse is true. You need the right people at the right time with the right level of support and the right love for you. Yeah, it's like that the thing that Tash was saying about mm. um, lots of you need lots of different people to love you in lots of different ways. It's basically getting to see you see yourself through their eyes. Like I love loads of my friends for lots of different reasons. And I'm sure when I talk to them, they might learn something about themselves that maybe they don't see or feel every day. Cause as you say, mm. we're all really hypercritical. Whereas mm. I think all of my friends are flipping amazing and I think they're awesome. And I just want them all to get prizes and stand on podiums <laughs> and hear a stadium full of people cheer their names. And so I, I feel sometimes I think that's a, an experience I rob myself of, or I deny myself because I am really bad at putting myself in a situation where I'm meeting up with lots of friends also, cause I do, I, I am somebody who can get quite easily overstimulated. Mm. Like, I don't know about you, but do you find that if you record like a lot of podcasts in a week, you'll sit down on the weekend very quietly and you'll think about something that you said or something that was said to you during a conversation and you cannot for the life of you remember which guest it was who said it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I quite often, because I, because I do similar talks quite often as well for like workplaces and organizations, I quite often get halfway through and can't remember if I've said the thing that I'm about to say <laughs> again. And I'm like, did I just say this? Am I repeating a section of the same thing again? Or <laughs> like, yeah, I'm that that definitely gets me. But I, I get to that point at the end of the week when I've done a lot of talking or interviewing where, yeah, again, I sort of feel like I don't want to be around anybody. Um, and I think that's that's a legit response up to a point. But I just think I, I personally can take that a bit far, um, yeah. which is why I think that the habit of people is a really good one. The other thing that the, the quote by your friend sort of made me think was it's one of the one of the ways in which we have to understand partnership relationships better as well, in that we can't expect one person to deliver all the things to all of us. And I feel as though that sort of romantic love trope that we are fed culturally um is is really damaging from that point of view because it gives you the it gives you permission to expect a huge amount from one individual and for a huge amount to be expected of you as well um because you know there's no way that my husband could deliver all the things that all my girlfriends give me and you know I, and male friends actually like I, you know there's just there's just no way and I, I can't I can't do I can't do the same job as the guy he you know his really close mate who he plays tennis with like I can't play tennis for as I said <laughs> earlier but like you know it, it it's it's critical that we understand that actually multiple people are necessary like to you know to differing degrees for differing people depending on your level of extroversion or introversion but um but yeah we do need we do need to remember that mm such an interesting conversation you and I have discovered that well, there's a lot of mirroring that goes on you and I have yeah feel, feel very similarly about a lot of things which is quite interesting to connect with someone this way over zoom yeah and it is 
it is I was gonna say we should go for a we should go for like a drink and discuss things further but then I was like no I just said don't drink as much so well <laughs> we'll do it on a, a non-alcoholic <laughs> or a non-alcoholic um <laughs> beverage somewhere I think it will um, be wonderful when we do eventually meet I can't wait for it and listeners I will obviously put the links to everything that we've discussed to your incredible book to your incredible podcast to your speaking events to everything that you do because I do think oh, you're a gem see I want all my friends to be on <laughs> gold medals and stand up and have crowds cheer their names um so thank you for coming on and doing feel good habits it's been a joy to speak to you again such a pleasure thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.